So we're starting a new series today uh, that's called I Choose. Uh, It's designed to help us think uh, about the priorities that we that we have in our lives as we start a new year. It's a time where we try to, to make adjustments and we try to, to shift our priorities and think about the decisions that we're making in an effort to, to make more biblical decisions uh, for our lives and the lives of our family. Uh, now, if you happen to be here last week as we started the year, I told you I'm not a huge fan of, of resolutions, um, mainly because I try resolutions, and then I always fail at the resolutions. And so I have just made the decision that I am, am not going to make New Year's resolutions anymore. But, but, but resolutions do make me think about why, why do we make them? What does it mean? What, what, what's the purpose of, uh, of New Year's resolutions? Um, and what I have come to at least think about in my own experience, my own life, is that I think of resolutions as many conversions now, I, I understand, uh, you don't have to email me, I understand that we only have one new birth. We, we accept the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit comes in, creates us as new people, um, but, but it has been my experience that we still go through changes. God still reveals certain things to us. Um, when God comes into your life, he doesn't lay everything out in your life that needs to be changed because it would overwhelm you. And so what we see is that it's a, it's a progression. We grow in our faith. So resolve is not, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to lose weight, or I'm going to try to be healthy, or I'm going to try to get involved in church. Resolve is no now through the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to move in a different direction and I'm not going to go back the other way. An image that was shared to me many years ago by a gentleman that was going through addiction. Uh, His particular addiction was to alcohol and he had been sober for a number of years. but, But he said that the way he looks at it is that it's like going across a bridge And you get across the bridge, and the bridge collapses, and there's no way to go back. That's resolve. That's moving in a different direction. It's inherent in our DNA. It's inherent in our DNA to to adjust and make changes because we were created to be fruitful and productive. I mean, think back to the creation story. You look at when with in Genesis 1, verse 27 and 28, it says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. So God saw that mankind was was very good. The word good here, it means, means virtuous. And so then the first thing that God did, the very first thing that God did when he created mankind was he blessed mankind to be fruitful and to be productive. So God blessed me and God blessed you to be fruitful and productive. God created us. This is, this is, he embedded into our DNA the ability to be over 
and not under, to be fruitful and not ineffective. I shared with the staff uh, this past week, and we talked about the, the nature of the church, what we're created for. And I, I talked about that, we, that it's a living organism, and God created the church to, to be his vessel to, to reach the community. God created the church to grow. And if the church isn't growing, then we need to stop and look and go, what are the things that, that are, we're doing that is inhibiting the natural growth of the church. And just as we think about that as a church, we can think about that as individuals. If we're not growing in our faith, then we need to stop and think about what are those things that are happening in our lives that are inhibiting that growth. And I think that's why we say, well, this year I'm going to do this. This year I'm going to do that. But then ultimately, we also have to battle with the fact that we fail. Claire and I were walking the other night, and, and she made the comment, she goes, why do we do this? Every year, we, we set out to be healthy, and then September, we, we let it go. And we find ourselves in the same shoes in January. Well, folks, this is not new. It's not just unique to Claire and myself. It's not unique to us as a congregation. This is an experience that is common to mankind. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, says this in Romans 7. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. I mean, that's a frustration and an emotion that most, if not all of us, have experienced in our spiritual life. So I want us to look this morning at a passage in 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. We read this. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. That's this virtuous life that God created us for. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises. I should stop the scripture there because I think some people are sitting here this morning. We're struggling in our faith. And part of it is we have forgotten or maybe we have never learned the promises of God. We have forgotten that God promises that he will be with us, that he will never leave us, that he'll never forsake us. We have forgotten that God promises that he has a plan for us and it's a plan to prosper us. We have forgotten that God promises that his spirit will guide us if we seek after him with all of our heart. We've forgotten the promises of God. But the scripture says that through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. So Christ didn't just come to show us um, who God is. Christ came so he could show us uh, who we can become. So that through them you participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add your, to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. Now, we hear that and we think, well, what difference 
does that make? Does it, does it really matter? Well, it really does if you put it in conversation with the next verse. Look at what it says in verse 8. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, so if you possess these qualities as you grow in your faith, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, we are so thankful for this day and we pray, Lord, that as we we dive into your word, we pray, Lord, that you make this more than just simply information and more than just head knowledge, but you allow your spirit to move in us and let this be a a life-transforming moment right now and right here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, goodness, the scripture says, that we add to our faith is literally meant to understood moral excellence. It's about character. Let me show you a definition of character. It says the mental, moral, and spiritual qualities distinctive to an individual. It's what makes you distinct from everyone else. In the Greek, the word for character is the imprint that they put on coins because in Jesus' day, they made all of the coins by hand. And so there were no two coins that were alike. Each was distinctive. So when we talk about character, we talk about your character, we're talking about the way that God sees you. Character is different than reputation. Reputation is how people perceive you. And let's be honest, we spend a lot more time working on how other people perceive us rather than how God sees us. But the scripture is clear that we need to build upon the foundation of faith with character. And here's the scary thing. Scripture tells us that what we think in secret will ultimately be brought to light. Look at what it says in Luke 8, 17. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. So folks, we need to be dealing with our stuff. The truth is all of us have things that we struggle whether we whether we admit it or not. We all battle with it. But if we don't deal with it, the truth is that in 2018 you're still going to be dealing with it. In 2019 you're still going to be dealing with it. But here's the good news for us. Character can be transformed. Jesus doesn't just show us what God is like. He shows us what we can become. If you know many of the stories in the Bible, there's a story in the Bible where a woman is caught in the act of adultery and she stands before Jesus and other people are there. And what does Jesus say to her? Jesus says, I don't condemn you. And then he gives her hope. He says, go and sin no more. I mean, what's he affirming? This, this woman, she, ha- she hasn't repented. She's caught in the act of adultery. But he says, I don't condemn you. I've got a better way of living that I want to show you. And so I want us to understand that, that God loves us for who we are. But God sees us for who we're becoming. In Ephesians, we read these words in Ephesians 2, 1 and 2. It says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now we, we hear that, we, we, we see that as hopeless, but then look at what it says next. It says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, 
made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So it's not about achieving anything. It's about receiving the grace of God. It's about being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But I also want you to understand that this is, this is not automatic. So many times we think, okay, we accept our faith, we accept grace, and bam, everything is going to go great. But that's probably not anybody's experiences. We have to understand that we have a part in this. Paul says this way. Paul says it in the the New Testament. He says that we are to work out our salvation. Now, that doesn't mean that we work to earn salvation, but it means that we receive the grace of God, and then we have a part to play in the process of our growth and our maturity. The athletic term that he uses uh, uh, in Greek uh, is, is basically like going to a gym. You go to the gym. How many of you would go to the gym and you would sit there and you would watch everybody work out because you would know that that would get you healthy? Well, no, we wouldn't do that. That would be a ludicrous thing because we would know that we would have to do something in the gym. This is the same term that he's using. We have a part to play. It's a mutual responsibility. Now, I read one person's definition of character and maturity in character this way. It says, the ability to respond to life situations, temptations, circumstances, and challenges in an appropriate manner. Listen to that again. The ability to respond to life situations, temptations, circumstances, and challenges in an appropriate manner. Now, I will tell you that I am, uh, according to my wife, I'm a terrible driver. Uh, You will probably hear many illustrations about my driving. Uh, She says I'm terrible. I say I'm not but I would tend to think that the people that drive around me tend to agree with my wife more than they do me. Uh, The other day I was sitting, if you come up uh, 42 and you come to North Henry Boulevard, if you've ever been at that intersection, you know you've got to turn either left or you've got to turn right. And I was in the left turn lane. Well, I'm not, when I drive, I'm not an anxious driver, so I don't sit there just waiting for the light to turn green to punch my car and go. So there may be a delay a little bit occasionally. Well, the car behind me felt, apparently, as I get often, that I uh, was too slow in my uh, response time. And so the light turned green, and the person behind me kind of blew the horn. I began to move, and I turned left, and she went around me, and as she was going past me, she did what often I get quite often as well, is she gave me a hand gesture. Uh, And the hand gesture probably came with some words, but uh, her window was up. I couldn't hear the the words that went along with it. But as she passed by, I noticed that on the back of her car, man, she loved Jesus. She had three things on the back of her car. One was a bumper sticker that said, I heart Jesus. There was another one on the other side that said, I love my church. And then right in the middle was a, was a fish, symbol of a fish. And as she passed by and gave me my hand gesture and I saw what was on the back of her car, I couldn't help but thinking, do you, do you even know what that symbol means? Because in early Christianity, 
You could literally die if you told someone that you were a Christian. I mean, they, they, they risked literally death. And so if you thought you were having a conversation with someone and you wanted them to know that you were a follower, you would take your foot and in the sand you would move, make half of a, of a semicircle. And then if they were a follower, they would take their foot and they would make the other semicircle. It would form the shape of a fish. They had to risk everything. And I tell you that story because I want you to understand that how we act matters. How you treat your neighbor matters. How you respond in your family dynamics, it matters. Your responses are a good indicator of your maturity of character. Remember that definition, the ability to respond to life situations, temptations, circumstances, and challenges in an appropriate manner. This involves patience. It involves perseverance. Look, I'm almost 52 years old. I have been a follower of Jesus for 30 years, really active in my faith for 20. I've been a minister now for 13 years, and I still don't have everything figured out. And I could beat myself up over that. But what I remind myself is I remind myself of the promises of God. I remind myself that, that God is continuing to guide me in my faith. I remind myself that this is a, a, it's, it's a process and that I'm, I'm, I'm following through, and it's God's timing on how he teaches me and what I learn. I mean, think about, think about Jesus, the Christmas story that we just celebrated. Jesus came as a, as a baby, and Luke tells us that Jesus grew. And one translation says he grew in favor with God and people. And what that translation shows us is the importance of that relationship, that Jesus knew that he needed to do the will of the Father. Last week, if you were here, I shared with you that, that Peter identified himself as, as a doulos, as a servant, as, as someone who, who was completely at the disposal of another person. This is how Jesus saw himself. He, he saw himself doing the will of the Father. The problem is, is that we often reverse the pattern. Rather than growing in the favor of God and people, we grow in the favor of people and God. And any time we get those two patterns or get that pattern reversed, we're going to be in trouble. I'm going to be married this year. We'll be married 29 years. I know some of you have been married much longer than me. I'm not an expert on marriage. But what I can tell you is that when I get, when I come home and I lash out at my family, if I disrespect my wife, almost every single time, if I'm honest, what's out of whack is my relationship with God. If I'm going to be the husband that God created me to be, I know I've got to stay close to God. If I'm going to be the 
the dad that I believe God created me to be, I've got to stay close to God. And I understand that this is hard. This is a struggle. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that, that this is a struggle for, for them as well. And he says that you have to make your physical body, which is determined by your feelings and your appetite, you have to make your physical body a slave to your spirit. What we're doing is we're making the spirit a slave to our physical body. So people come and say, well, I can't do this or I can't do that. What I would tell you is you need to claim, I can't. Because the truth is you can't. But you do have the ability to learn to let your spirit control your body. Don't forget, Peter said his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And as we grow through this process and we receive this grace, this, the, the grace of Christ, maturity is following through with your commitments and commitments today. So if you sit here and go, well, I'm going to start getting healthy next week or I'm going to, next month I'm going to come in here and I'm going to start getting active in church. Uh, let me tell you something. Next is always the enemy of now. Tomorrow is always the enemy of today. And that's really what resolutions are all about, to commit to a new behavior today. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, for he, for he says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation you know, if I look back at my life, I see it as a, as a psalm of ascent. I don't know if you realize this, but many of the psalms, they were written as, as oral um, songs that the, the people of Israel would, would sing. They would recite as they, as they walked into Jerusalem. If you go over to Jerusalem, you'll see that it's, it's on top of a hill. And so they would sing it as they ascended in to Jerusalem. And so I look at my life and think of it as a, as a song of ascent. And I just want to share with you a, a few things that I wrote down, some dates and things that have happened in my life. In June of 1990, I made a real commitment to follow Jesus Christ. In August of 1995, I made a real commitment to attend worship. But it was two years later in January of 1997 that I made a real commitment to serve. And in February of 1998, I made a real commitment to forgive. Three years later in March 2001, I made a real commitment to tithe. It was in May of 2005, this might surprise you, but I made a real commitment to prayer. In June of 2007, I made a real commitment to go where I'm sent. And then my latest edition was in August of 2016. God gave me a burden for the people of Henry County, for you. And I made a real commitment 
to you. But what I want you to notice is that these didn't all happen at one time. That would have overwhelmed me. And it would overwhelm you. Receive the grace of God. It's a gift. But don't just sit there and wait for the blessings to pour in. Understand that the gift is the blessing. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And I don't think that's fear and trembling meaning that we're supposed to be afraid of God. I think that's sweat equity. And we do this by drawing on God's strength. If you think you can achieve this on your own, it will never work. You receive the strength of God and God strengthens you for that. Eugene Peterson, who wrote the message version of Scripture, is quoted as saying this, Salvation is God's work. Jesus saves. Incompetence may be the essential qualification lest we impatiently and presumptuously take over the business and start managing a vast and intricate economy that we have no way of comprehending. You see, the way that the forces of darkness can defeat you is to convince you that you're bad and that you need to work to be good. Let me tell you something. Jesus loves you just the way you are. He died declaring you good. But he sees you this morning for who you're becoming. I invite you this morning to receive his grace and make a commitment to follow him. I want you to close your eyes this morning and I want you to listen to a prayer that I wrote for myself. And I pray that these words may be your prayer as well. Lord, your word says that if I call on you, you will answer me. Lord, your word says you will be with me in all my troubles. Lord, your word says you will honor me and you will deliver me. You said that through the power of your indwelling spirit, I would be set free from this vicious cycle of temptation, sin, and failure. You said if I fully commit my life to you, I would have the strength to stand up to the enemy and he would flee from me. You said that you have given me the power to pull down on my mental strongholds and take control of every wayward thought, imagination, and impulse. You said that by reading your word each day and meditating on it, I would become a participant of your divine nature and overcome the destructive tendencies of my flesh. You said that I would be strengthened in my mind, my emotions, and my will, that my self-worth would be based solely on your love for me, and that you would do exceedingly above all that I could ask or think because you were at work in me. So today I just want to thank you for helping me to overcome. Today I want to thank you for healing me. Today I want to thank you for teaching me to forgive. Today I want to thank you for teaching me to serve. For teaching me to love. It's in Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. 
Amen.